0: everyone, and welcome to the blockbuster edition of The George Sanders Show. It doesn't get any bigger than this as we uh, finally talk about Star Wars in-depth on the show, episode 76. This should have been episode 77. Oh, that would have been a great tie-in. Oh, well, whatever. What are you going to do? Uh, but tie-in with the release of J.J. Abrams' upcoming Star Wars The Force Awakens. Um, and all of its uh, attendant merchandise, which is staring me in the face right now as I have it up on my screen, like the Star Wars Special Edition notebook that you can get. Uh, We're going to be talking about the original, Ground Zero, Patient Zero, Star Wars from 1977. I will refrain from saying the full title uh, that George Lucas added later on uh, because I do not want my uh, Wookiee co-pilot to go insane on this show. Um, so we'll just call it Star Wars. <laughs> Tying in with that uh, and the fact that Thanksgiving was yesterday and Turkey was involved, we're going to talk about uh, 1982's Turkish Star Wars or The Man Who Saved the World from director Chechen Inanc, um, which is a very unique film that incorporates footage from Star Wars and uh, a lot of other classic uh, blockbuster type stuff. So, uh, as I mentioned, uh, I don't do this alone. I couldn't do this alone. So uh, far, far away in a galaxy called Tacoma, uh, there's Sean Gilman. Hi, Sean. Hi. How's it going?
1: Well, as, as usual, I am uh, getting over a cold.
0: Yeah. Are you but, uh, uh, yeah. enrolling into another one, I'm sure?
1: Yes. I'm, I'm looking <laughs> forward to the next one. <laughs>
0: You don't have kids, man. Kids yeah. are just incubators for disease. Yes. Um, but you had you had a decent Thanksgiving. I heard your Thanksgiving was was short.
1: Yeah, uh, it, was, it was. It was fine. I, did, I didn't have to cook anything, so that's always a plus.
0: That is no dishes.
1: No. Yeah. Not for me. My wife right. cooked some stuff, but not a lot. We didn't have to cook a turkey, so that's good. Good, good. Although we we actually we make a good turkey. It's just that nobody ever wants to eat our turkey. We've only been allowed to do it twice. And both times it's been very good.
0: Maybe because the cook always has a cold. No, that's possible. (laughs) He's got snot dripping down (laughs) into the brine. (laughs) Uh well enough. On that note. I don't care about yeah. (laughs) Um let's let's uh here, well, actually, we're not going to hear clips today, are we, Sean?
1: No, we're we're listening to we're music. Listening. We're listening to one song.
0: <laughs> the whole show, <laughs> all fifteen minutes of the disco Star Wars from uh, Mecco from uh, the late seventies. Um, so enjoy that, people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so so here's here's like minutes three to five of that as we get into our discussion of George Lucas's uh, Star Wars. Oh I should have mentioned who are uh what we're else we're doing. Essentials and all that. Ah screw it. they don't care.
1: So, uh, I think we've, we've both talked about this before on the show that, but, uh, Star Wars was the first movie I ever saw. It's also, uh, some of the earliest memories I have of, of life are Star Wars related of like getting my first action figure and listening to the soundtrack record and going to see Empire Strikes Back when, when it came out. Also, uh, I saw both these movies in the theater, uh, when I was three or four years old, um, yeah, I, it's uh, it's hard for me to like talk about Star Wars in any kind of objective sense because, in in a lot of ways, it kind of defines for me what a a movie is and what storytelling is. It's like it's my first experience of it. It kind of set set that template, but uh, we're gonna try because you know otherwise it's it's very boring to just say Star Wars is perfect. Uh, <laughs> And nobody, even wants, though
0: it even though it is,
1: and nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> um, so uh, the movie Star Wars, it came out in 1977. It was a largely independent production by George Lucas, who had had a big hit with uh, an Amer- with American Graffiti. Uh, he shopped around this uh, space opera that he wanted to make to various other studios, and a lot of people passed on it. Eventually, he he cobbled together enough uh, enough money to go out into the desert and hire. Uh, a, shoestring, a shoestring special effects team that invented a whole bunch of technology along the way. And he got a reasonably good cast of uh, mostly unknowns, but also veteran British actors who had fallen on hard times, like Peter Cushing and and uh, Alan Guinness. And it is the story of a young knight who, with the help of his fairy godfather and a pirate, rescue a princess from an evil wizard.
0: That's it in a nutshell.
1: Yeah so yeah what you did you you said earlier that this was also the first movie that you had ever seen
0: Well, it's the first memory of a movie that I've ever seen absolutely. Okay. you know, my older brother Sean uh was nine years old uh in nineteen seventy seven and uh so obviously the perfect age uh when Star Wars was first released, and I was born um into a household that was already. Brimming with Star Wars uh, paraphernalia, and uh, you know, my Sean had um, a you know life-size uh, Darth Vader mask head that was that actually doubled as a case for all of his action figures. You opened it up, and he had like you know yeah, two action figures. Yeah,
1: um, <laughs> were you my brother? Are you Sean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Um, I'm not. Th- I'm not that old. <laughs>
0: you're not that old. Um, and we had Star Wars on beta. And so I do remember watching that um, a lot. And I and the the memory that really strikes for me with Star Wars is that um, I thought this is how uh, you know insular my life was. I thought Star Wars was a movie that only my family knew about. And so when I <laughs> first started going to kindergarten and and stuff and and socializing, I was running around like trying to kind of spread the gospel of star Wars to people like, have you seen this movie? It's crazy. Oh my gosh. And everybody's like, yeah, it's star Wars. We, we all, (laughs) we (laughs) all feel that way about the stupid movie. Shut up. You annoying curly headed kid. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's, it's huge. It's huge in my mind. Um, uh, And, and it has continued to this day to, to have that effect. um, Kind of like you Um, one it's, it's easily the, the, most uh integral piece of glue in my relationship with my older brother um where we are very different people in so many respects we have very different senses of humor um our brains work very differently he's very analytical um and uh driven and successful and i'm lazy and shiftless and but but we come together on star wars and i'm and it, you know i'm going down there for christmas to california this year and the one thing we're doing together is we're going to go see the force awakens together. And that, you know, that it's, it's like so the perf, the stars are aligned with me and star Wars and that. Um, so yeah, so star Wars is, is huge. It's a very defining moment of my life as is, you know, we'll, we'll, probably talk about the prequels a little later on too, um, the disillusionment disillusionment that came with the, uh, the prequels and their release and stuff like that. But, um, but the amazing thing, and, and this goes back to what you were just saying about star Wars about it setting the blueprint. We're so lucky that Star Wars set the blueprint instead of any a number of other movies. And you know, part of that is just because I mean Star Wars is that good anyway like, you know, a lesser movie probably wouldn't have set any blueprints, but rewatching it, you know, earlier this week for the for the show um and having seen it god, I don't know, 25 times easily probably. <laughs>
1: Oh, it's I've, so I've good. Seen it, I've seen it many more than that. It's it's easily a movie I've seen more than any other.
0: Yeah, I may have seen Duck Soup more than Star Wars, but it but other than that, it's it I don't I can't think of anything else that I've like seen the,
1: more. the only thing that, that comes close is the Empire Strikes Back.
0: Right. Well, actually childhood I probably saw for some reason I remember the first hour of Return of the Jedi better than anything for some reason. So I have a feeling that I watched that a lot the Jabba Palace stuff but anyway enough of recollections but let's talk about the movie um and it's it's hard you know and and because Star Wars is such a huge phenomenon now it's really easy to kind of lose track of just the original movie um and I read a book there was a um a book a coffee table book The Making of Star Wars that came out about five years ago um that I read a, you know, in probably like two days. but that I, that book is so incredible because it it puts star wars in a, in in a new perspective, even though it's a lot of anecdotes you've heard before. but like you said, as an independent production, the achievement that George Lucas managed to pull off by by by oftentimes being on the verge of bankruptcy or the production shutting down due to, you know, weather or all these other things like coming to the end of that book on the making of star Wars and star Wars actually getting released. It felt like the most monumental hard fought achievement of humankind. <laughs> like it seems so impossible, um, that this movie came into existence when it did. Um, and, and then the fact that it has had such a huge cultural impact beyond that is, uh, is insane but the movie itself is so good it's so good yeah (laughs) let me ask you this okay Because this is what was getting to me while i was watching it this time um everybody almost everybody is firing on on all cylinders with this thing like like it's there's such a confluence of of of i don't know if it's luck or just lucas knew how to pick the right people or what but um You've got people at the top of their game, like like John Williams' score. Star Wars would not be what it is without John Williams' score, and it's one of the greatest scores of of all time, cinema cinema history. Who, besides Lucas, uh, whose contribution to Star Wars do you think is most integral and uh, most successful and influential?
1: I. Uh... I I would actually go with with John Williams. I think I think uh that score drives so much of of the film and it's so omnipresent and so unusual like it's uh I don't I I was uh, trying when in in watching this movie I'm trying to like compare it to movies that were around and being made at the time that it was being made or its kind of predecessors and I can think of very few movies that are, that have a a score that is as important to the story, like a non-musical film or certainly not an adventure film uh, that, that, you know, carries so much of like the, uh, the, the feeling of the movie, the ambiance, and setting the world as, as Williams uh, music does.
0: Absolutely. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, when we get to, uh, the Turkish Star Wars, right. but uh, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I yeah,
1: like the the only things that I could think of to come close were like Bernard Herrmann's scores for for Vertigo and and Psycho. I...
0: Yeah, I I I agree with you. I think Williams' contributions to Star Wars are one of its greatest successes. One of the reasons it's it's as successful successful as it is is is because of that that score. It's just. It's that good, and and and it and it, it sets the tone. It it, you know, plays at the heartstrings. It gets it gets you excited. It gets you motivated, and it, it plays it, in your head long after, the movie. Like like you know, you talk about Herman or somebody like that, or Leone, uh, and and Morricone or whatever. Um, those those are great. You know, I I think Morricone's stuff is the, is the best that there ever was in cinema and stuff. But the the hummability and the, the the kind of pop tones that that Williams is able to to make uh, just in they're like earworms that just will never leave your brain.
1: Well, yeah, and that's and that's like the big difference between between Williams and and Morricone and Herman and Morricone and Herman are like brilliant composers that are doing experimental stuff, whereas Williams, like like Lucas, is is kind of taking uh, very traditional popular forms and kind of distilling it down to to this essence and and you know putting it up on screen it's not it's not an experimental score at all like uh like John Barry's scores for like uh, Planet of the Apes or something like that or let alone Marconi or, or Herman like it's it's very traditional kind of romantic symphonic scoring but but the melodies are so strong. The, the melodies are so good and it elevates the material which a lot of the times the the scripts the script that Lucas writes here and like his later scripts are not that good like this is much better than what he did in the the prequel trilogy but still there's there's a lot in the in the dialogue that either doesn't make a lot of sense or is awkwardly phrased but <laughs> the the score kind of elevates it and it like classes up what is really pulpy genre material. Yeah. And it it makes it it it puts like the opera in the space opera.
0: Yes, it absolutely. Does. I mean, you you just think of I mean, the iconic I mean, the most iconic thing about Star Wars is the first second of that movie when you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then just the loudest, you know, just the the orchestra just kicking in with the title blazing across the screen um, at like, you know, top volume. And it just throws you back in your seat. And you're just, I mean, you're ready for that ride, whatever it's going to be, just based on that first
1: yeah, and those words that seconds. just it's like it just pops out and they're just they're so big right there Star Wars with right. the it, with the trumpet fanfare and then it just like recedes and yeah, yeah. it's uh I I I haven't seen anything like it like we've been watching a lot of movies from 1965 right and is there anything like this like no. we we just we just talked about uh uh, uh, two war movies from 1965, two action films. And this is an action film and this is a war film. And they're like, they're from two completely different universes. Like, yeah.
0: Well, and, and we've talked about, you know, we talked about Logan's run and the science fiction films that preceded Star Wars and stuff. And, and yeah.
1: That. And that precedes it by like a year. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, and, and yeah, no, it, I mean, and we well, are talking about experimental stuff. I mean, Lucas does some really experimental things with the film. I mean, you know, not having opening credits, not listing, you know, just, he knew that that, that beginning was so strong that he couldn't, he couldn't possibly have, you know, Mark Hamill's name showing up and, you know, <laughs> right. all, all that yeah. stuff. Uh, and, and that led to, you know, problems with him and le- him resigning from the, the writer's guild and all that stuff, but um, the director's guild. Um, but, but, he, you know, that, that opening crawl is so. That's crazy experimental weird stuff, <laughs> like having that coming out, this text blazing across the screen, and then it being the same shot that then pans down, to the you know we're gonna we're gonna take apart this movie shot by shot. I can tell this is gonna happen on this thing, but like, you can't, you couldn't come up with a better. You know, a, a a billion monkeys sitting at typewriters couldn't come up with a better opening than than Star Wars. They can't do it.
1: Yeah, um, and uh, I mean the the effects work obviously is is revolutionary. Well, I was gonna. And say... I don't think yeah. we really need to to get into that because every everyone knows about that. But uh, I'm really struck by just the production design, uh, and it it looks so different from any other sci-fi film that had that had come before uh in that it every every space feels lived in it it feels real and yet it's it's completely alien and and artificial like it's it's he really builds a world
0: and and this is i think th- i think that is probably th- the biggest weakness of the prequels is that that lived in quality is completely absent
1: yeah right? and that's I, you, I know you, you know why he did that for like thematic reasons but it but it is to the detriment of the film and and uh combined with the fact that so much of the environments are CGI it just feels plastic and phony in a way that the the practical effects of the the first uh the first trilogy do not
0: yeah i i mean the the cantina scene i mean all it really is is like stucco walls and stuff, but like you know it it it feels
1: well a lot it of it feels like
0: it's been there for you know uh hundreds of years
1: and or whatever and it comes from the way that it's lit too like the the cantina scene is it in a, in a a traditional sci-fi film like something like Logan's Run, you have like really flat lighting like like Star Trek or something uh so you you can see all of the the really cool makeup effects that people put a lot of time into. But Lucas shoots the cantina scene like it, you would shoot an actual bar, where there's right. there's tons of shadows and the lights, it's like and, a noir and not everyone is. Yeah, it's it it feels like an actual bar, uh, as opposed to a a display for effects.
0: Right, absolutely, um, and and yeah, I you know going back to uh, like uh, John Dykstra and and all the all the amazing effects that were done on this movie that that totally. I mean, there. Before this movie, there were no effects that were ever, ever see, as seamlessly integrated as they are into Star Wars. Well, and two, you and two, I both, two
1: thousand one, kind of was, yeah. was like the first one. But but this is this is like the next step in evolution beyond two thousand one to, to right. make a, a monkey pun. Um, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah.
0: Um, and um, I, and also you know you you mentioned the the uh, the design and all that stuff and that goes to i mean the name you really got to shout out when it comes to that is is what ben Burt does yeah. um in this movie and it goes from the sound of the blasters to the lightsaber sound to R2 freaking D2 like that dude i mean i think his work on wally is probably almost as amazing as it is in star wars but um Like you just get wrapped up. Like that makes the world once again seem so much more real and believable because of the sheer amount of different kind of tones and qualities and weirdness that he added to make it. It wasn't just a pew pew blaster sound, you know?
1: Right. It's, It's it's this incredible attention to detail. Like everything is is thought out, and everything that would be there is is put into the film to make it sound real, to make it feel real. And then you have like this insanely unreal story.
0: Right. This <laughs> totally nuts. Wacko story, but yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, and the other, the other, the other great thing about the other great thing, there are so many great things about, it. uh, one of my favorite things about it is, is the way that the story is told, uh, with so little exposition it, and it's, it moves so quickly and I, I think a lot of people complain that this first Star Wars movie drags, and I don't see that at all. It only drags if you're, if you're looking at it as an action film, where you expect to see an action sequence every 15 minutes, uh, just looked at as an actual film it is so efficient the way it, it spreads out its narrative and introduces its characters, introduces a major character every 15 minutes. Like it's almost schematic the way that it works. And so much of the dialogue is in reference to things that aren't explained. And some of them will later get explained like the, uh, the, uh, the idea of the restraining bolt that the Jawas put on the droids when they capture them. You don't, you see them do that. You don't know what it is. Uh, until much later in the film, right? It becomes uh, and it becomes apparent that it, it serves this narrative purpose. When in any other sci-fi movie or any other film, there would be a bit of explanation. Oh, you have this restraining bolt on now. That means you can't run away. Right.
0: Well, and then also there's stuff that's that's that's alluded to, um, and and you know you could argue that this is was one of the other things that Lucas screwed up with the. Uh, The prequels is that um there's there's a lot of allusions to things that even don't get resolved within the narrative of this two-hour movie where you know uh obi-wan kenobi talks about the clone wars and and just there's the sound what the clone wars that's what the hell was that um or uh you know the whole han greedo thing about uh you know jabba the hut and and it's like who the what? You know, like it, it, it, that makes it once again feel more lived in because there's all of these kind of dangling threads that just seem like it's just, you're kind of, you know, eavesdropping on, on this world for a little bit and then moving on to another, uh, part of the story.
1: Yeah. It uh, actually, it actually begins after a battle that we don't see. Right. It's like the, the, oh, the first words are they have just won a big battle. But right. we don't we don't see the battle. We don't nope. hear anything about it. We don't know anything about it. We don't know how they won the battle. We don't know who was fighting it. But hey, they won. They won. Something's going on here. <laughs> yeah. And
0: and and um, and also going back kind of to the the, the weirdness of this movie is uh, I wanted to time it. I did. I didn't actually go back and time it. But um, there's like a f- ten minute section of this movie from the minute the droids uh, you know go in the escape pod and land on Tatooine. Uh, and they meet up with the jawas and stuff um up until they end up at the uh, you know Luke's home there's like 5 to 10 minutes of screen time where there's not a single human being or besides C3PO anybody talking english like there's there's the jawas making their little noises and the beeps and boops of the
1: uh the yeah, droids that, and that's stuff. it's actually like 2 minutes
0: no it feels it it feel, it feels much longer. longer like this that.
1: this movie every, every part of this movie Feels longer in my memory than it actually is. Like if you actually like watch the movie with like a counter, uh, like a time counter on it, you'll you'll be amazed at how quickly things move. Yeah, it just it feels much longer because there's so much so much going on that isn't explained on screen like there's, there's so much of the world to take in. It's like the, the time slows down because you're recognizing all of these other things. And you're thinking about all of these uh, connections and there's, and there's more of the backstory that we know now. And so like a, a a 30 second scene actually feels like three minutes of information.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's fair. Um, But yeah, I was definitely struck by that. I was like, you know, if you just, if you just happen to like turn on the TV at the beginning of the, of them in the escape pod, and you're like, what's this? And then all of a sudden it's just like these two droids walking around in the desert and these little guys in the hoods and stuff. And there's not a human being around for for quite a while. Um, which
1: is Yeah, awesome. well I think at one point they cut they cut from that back to the Star Destroyer when and Darth Vader is sending uh, they find out that the droids are in the escape pod, so he sends the the people down to to to follow right, them, but, and but then it cuts the to time- the stormtroopers like looks or droids.
0: Yeah, but also uh, stormtroopers, Darth Vader, they're all wearing masks. they still you still don't see a human being's face. Well, know?
1: he he interrogates Princess Leia at one point.
0: Well, yeah, but it, you know, there's long stretches where there's not a human yeah. being's face on the, on the screen, yeah. um, which is awesome. Um,
1: yeah, I think the I think the editing, just the cross cutting, um, is is neat. He does he does uh, a lot much cooler stuff with cross cutting in the the later films, but um, just the editing within sequences, especially the the the battle sequences, is uh, one of the other uh, kind of undersold, really revolutionary things about this film. Uh, both both of the the space fight sequences. Are are shot so fast, but still coherently mm-hmm. that uh, it kind of of it's like the the you know the first one at least since World War II to cut an action scene like that, and it's it kind of started a trend that has gone to to poor places in the 21st century, <laughs> but but Lucas uh, his his editors uh, Marsha Lucas and uh, a couple others. Uh, do it so well in, yes. those, in those two sequences that it's terrific. And also just like the in-between scene edits, bringing back the wipe. I love the wipes.
0: I I, I had two questions. Do you have a favorite wipe in this?
1: Uh, yes. Uh, it's the the first wipe I ever recognized as a wipe. And it's the one where uh, after the sand people attack, when they lift up C-3PO. No and way! They, That's they, my they, favorite wipe too! Well, of course, because they, they lift him up <laughs> and the screen wipes up at the same time and it's perfectly oh. synced. And I, I, I have always so loved much. that. Yeah,
0: that wipe is so great. And and once again, it's a, it's a great wipe for uh, for hiding the, uh, you know, lack of uh, effects that he had at, at that point, mm-hmm. because he couldn't just, you know, if he if he pulled up, if you saw them just lift up Anthony Daniels in that suit, you would have seen like an arm, you know, like a human's arm or you would have seen something, you know. Um, yeah. That would have spoiled the illusion of the effect that he's, you know, been, you know, beat up and uh, all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, it's great. And then my other question is, uh, what's what's your favorite edit? Is there a favorite like cut in this movie that you you love so much?
1: Uh, I'll tell you mine.
0: <laughs> I love.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know about a specific cut.
0: <laughs> okay, I love. I love the cut of Peter Cushing right before the Death Star explodes. The, the the his face and profile with his with you know resting his uh, chain on his hand or whatever yeah. and then just cutting to the thing exploding, so awesome, yeah, so great.
1: And uh, I love uh, this is this is another thing that the, this movie gets really well that it's it's sequels and the films that have followed it uh, have not kind of learned this lesson is is those action sequences are so quick. Like the final, the final battle, uh, only takes up about ten minutes of screen time. Like mm-hmm. it's it's it's really brief. But, but, you know, so much happens in that brief amount of time. And there's, there's, the, the screen isn't cluttered with like hundreds of CGI spaceships. There's only like, (laughs) like the
0: beginning of episode three. (laughs) Right.
1: There's, and, you know, and that, and that's cool on its own. Like when I first saw that, I'm like, whoa, that's really cool. But, but it doesn't, you know it doesn 't make the the scene any more dramatic it doesn 't make the action no. any more right. exciting it right. just it 's just like wow that 's a lot of pixels uh, but you know you only have like three or four ships on the screen at the same time and right. i love I love the sound design of that the way that he he cuts in the middle of dialogue from one cockpit to another when you hear the actor's voice change from their right. actual voice to the speaker voice uh is really cool. And he does it all throughout the sequence. And it, it's, uh, yeah, it's just another thing that, that makes it more real. Right.
0: Well, and, and also, you know, you get thrown in, you know, it's suddenly Luke, who's our focal point, And then like four or five different rebel pilots that we've never seen before, which adds to the chaos and confusion of what's going on. And as, as, as things, as the stakes ramp up and, and, you know, their voices get higher and you can't really discern who's who at one point, And it's kind of just like it's the chaos of war at that point, you know, yeah. and you're just going through the trenches. And um, and it's super cool. Um, speaking of that scene, I want to ask you narratively. Um, do you think Han Solo had a change of heart and decided to come back or was it his plan all along to like lay low and then come in when needed?
1: I've always thought he had a change of heart. Me too.
0: Although this this is the first time I was thinking of it when I was like, maybe this is all like some long game that Han Solo is playing, where he's.
1: I I I can't see any reason why he would be doing that. (laughs) Uh, I I I do wonder why the uh, Death Star did not just blow up the planet Yavin, because that would surely blow up the any moons surrounding it as well.
0: Well, and also my brother brought this up. My younger brother. Christopher, who uh, also rewatched this recently, um, you would think if the Death Star is capable of getting to light speed, mm. which it obviously had to to get to, to Yavin in the first place so quickly, that it would be it would not take it a half an hour right. to to get on the other side of the planet to destroy the moon. Right. Um, so there's a little bit of a you know a little problem there with that, but you know I mean it's a big it's a big uh, weapon it you know it's hard to move it i guess but um but that is that does uh when you start thinking about that throw you off your game a little bit but yeah small potatoes yeah do. <laughs> i
1: also uh, i also wonder why the tractor beam controls are on a, a, a precipice
0: oh i love the tractor <laughs> beam controls i love the handle Yeah. Uh, the the one you know that just he brings down uh oh god the triangular handle I have loved that since I was four years old I don't know why yeah it seems like a, a very a, a very set.
1: it seems like a very inconvenient place to put that though I mean why not just you know on a wall
0: well you want to make it inconvenient because if the Rebel Alliance breaks into your stronghold that you want to make it a little tricky for them um, but yes uh, who who do you who do you think um, Acquits themselves best uh, as an actor in this film.
1: Well, I, th- I think it's it's got to be Harrison Ford. Yes, because this is this is the the star <laughs> I love making how we just performance. Agree about everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, it, it, it's Harrison Ford. Like of of of the non Harrison Ford cast and non, uh, you know, non Guinness, non Cushing, because those guys are are veterans who who know what they're doing. Of the young unknowns. Who do you think?
0: Yeah. The young unknowns. <sighs> um, I'll
1: say. I, I'll say. I'll say Anthony Daniels.
0: Anthony Daniels is really good.
1: Yeah.
0: Anthony Daniels is really good. I was actually gonna go with uh, Ben Burtt again and R two D two, because our like the personality infused in r2d2 is insane like he's the most like charismatic character in the whole movie and he doesn't speak uh you know any uh human dialect whatsoever but uh but no anthony daniels is fantastic um but yeah going back harrison ford uh every scene he's just killing it
1: yeah he's just
0: he's just god he's so good in it yeah which is a shit you know it's sad because harrison ford you know, for the last, I don't know, a long time. Uh, every time I see him in something, you know, he's not so good.
1: Like <laughs> well, he hasn't, he hasn't really been putting much effort into things for, for quite well, a while.
0: The problem is, is I saw 42, the, uh, Jackie Robinson movie yeah. and he plays Branch Ricky. And I, he I heard tries, he,
1: he tried in that. Yeah.
0: He tried really hard, but it was like bad trying. Like mm. it was, you know, it was, it, it did not help things. Um, he should have tried a little less than that, but
1: uh... Uh, and you know Mark Mark Hamill is is is much maligned. I I actually don't think he's bad at all. I think uh, I think he gets off to a bad start in that in that first scene is like his worst scene in the film. But I, yeah, think, but... I think I think for most of it he's actually pretty good.
0: I don't think he's really bad at all. Like I mean, yeah. he you know. He, I mean
1: he's got that terrible line about going to Tashi station to pick station up, some, to power pick up con- some power
0: converters. <laughs> yeah. Like I mean he's supposed to be a whiny teen and mm-hmm. I mean and and that's reinforced by you know the later scenes with uh you know uh Owen and Baru. you know see I trying- think I
1: think he's he's he, I think he's much better in those scenes like he's not whiny he's you know he's he's a a young adult who wants to get on with his life.
0: Right. Yeah I I, I never thought Mark Hamill was uh Bad. I, I never thought he he he he delivered the performance that needed to be there. I mean, I really think so.
1: Yeah, I think I think Carrie Fisher is, is pretty good too. I think she's really really bad in Return of the Jedi. Uh, there there's oh,
0: where, where she's having to having to work with Ewoks.
1: No, in the uh, in the the bridge scene where she is like trying to convince Luke to not go fight darth vader mm. she's just terrible and then han solo comes out and she, that whole sequence she's just awful
0: well she's really good in empire though
1: she is and i think she's she's a great actress in general i don't know if it's just like impossible lines or uh drug abuse but right. she is terrible in that scene well
0: <laughs> uh, i haven't you know i will be re-watching all of them in in uh anticipation for well i, I I'll, I'll be watching all of the uh, original trilogy should i say um leading up to the force awakens and i will uh keep an eye out for that but i don't remember that well date, she, she's that.
1: also hurt by the fact that her character just gets increasingly marginalized as as the trilogy goes on
0: well she's the most fascinating character well i guess han solo is really fascinating too but she is so interesting in the first movie yeah you know she's she's, she's the one that kicks the plot into gear She's a badass. She's not afraid to, you know.
1: Yeah, and, she, and through the course of of the, of, through, of the yeah. second one she just becomes a love interest. Right. And then in the third one I they mean a slave. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really kind of unconscionable what what Lucas did to that character.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so. that's that's not that's not so pretty.
1: I mean, it's still it's still better than what Natalie Portman had to deal with in the the prequels but
0: yeah yeah (laughs) i yeah i'm afraid i'm afraid of bringing the talking too much about the prequels because i'll just this conversation could go on until the end of time Mm -hmm. um but uh yeah
1: yeah (laughs) i don't know i mean I i don't
0: everything just died
1: i don't i don't I don't hate them. Some pe- some people hate them. I don't. I don't think that they need to be like erased from collective consciousness. I think that each one of them has like severe problems that really I, kind of ruin the experience of of watching them.
0: Yeah, I.
1: But I they also walk- each have like really terrific stuff in them. So.
0: Yeah, yeah I. I haven't I haven't rewatched any of them since two thousand five when uh, Revenge of the Sith came out, um, and I was a huge Revenge of the Sith apologist when that came out. I was I was on board uh, with that one, um, and but I'm really really scared to go back <laughs> and watch it. Um, but I have I, once again going going back to uh, you know the, the the personal the memories you bring with Star Wars. Um, I have three very distinct memories for all three of the prequels. And while they're not always the best memories, um, they're so clear to me. And I've seen so many movies in the 10, 15 years since that, that I don't have any, you know, real attachments to those memories or whatever. But the, the ones for the prequels are so big in my life, you know?
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I have I have that experience with with the original films because because I was so young and because um uh my mom was a, is is still a huge Star Wars fan and uh apparently she she took me to see Star Wars many many many times because she just kept going to watch it whenever it was playing in the theater. So even before I remember like my first trip to the movie theater to see a movie I had apparently already seen it several times. Right. And then I, I remember seeing Empire Strikes Back with her. Uh, I had just turned four when it came out. I remember seeing Return of the Jedi with her, which was like the last day of the third grade. Uh, yeah. Yes.
0: Well, yeah, I um, I saw... i. Uh, Phantom Menace came out senior year of high school for me, and I was smoking a lot of pot at the time (laughs) and uh and i smoke i was smoking enough that i convinced myself that i needed to see uh phantom menace three times in the theater um and actually i think phantom menace is actually i think the the the There are some really strong moments, and I think that one is the best lightsaber fight of uh, the prequels. I think it's got a lot of good stuff going for it. Uh Um, I think the pod racing sequence as just an action sequence is pretty incredible. I think there's a lot of good stuff going on there. Um, Episode two, I saw opening night in Kansas when I was traveling across the country with my friend three years later. By this point, I had stopped smoking pot and I was sober. And I remember sitting there in the theater at midnight with just pure Star Wars fandom going on around me, looking at the ceiling, cursing myself and saying, what the hell am I watching? This is the worst movie I have ever seen in my life. And I, to this day, I think episode two is far, far worse than anything else that's come out in the Star Wars world. I
1: think uh, I think uh, Attack of the Clones has... Uh, the worst scenes in any Star Wars film, and also has some of the best scenes in the prequel trilogy. Like, I think what? it's it's the most uh, it's the most schizophrenic of the films. I think anything involving Hayden Christensen talking is terrible. But all of the action sequences and all of the Yoda U- no. Gregor stuff, I think is is is really good.
0: No, no, no. See you. Lose, I, you I lose like
1: it I like the flying Yoda. Oh! <laughs> oh I think that's good stuff.
0: Well, getting back to okay, getting back to uh the, the movie at hand here. Mm-hmm. Let's let's rein it back in a little bit. Alright. Um I actually really, really, really like the Vader Obi-Wan lightsaber fight. Like yeah. it's it's an old man fighting a guy in a clunky suit,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: the narrative stakes there are so like it's so awesome and the the the the resolution for it all is so great and that's what's lost when when the movies are more you know later about like just like bouncing off the walls and throwing senate chambers at people and like shit like that
1: yeah and even in uh in revenge of the sith when they're when in the final fight when they're you know over emoting
0: ground yeah it's it's it's so
1: dumb and and there's there's no there's so little i mean there's still dialogue in the the vader obi-wan fight in in Star wars, but it's so much more efficient and it's so it's so kind of mysterious the stuff that they're that they're saying like we don't know what obi-wan's plan is that we don't know that he's spent like the last twenty years uh meditating on how to become an energy being after you die
0: right and then he and that look that he gives when he sees Luke and he just like closes his eyes and it's like oh well my and, gosh. and
1: he tells he tells Vader what he's going to do but he doesn't tell it in a way that we understand he says if right. you strike, me, you down, strike me down I'll become more, be powerful more powerful than, more than, more than, than you can, can possibly imagine, imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and and that is literally true but we have no idea what that means right.
0: And it's but it's but see and uh, you know, Lucas wrote a a number of very clunky lines, most Mm -hmm. of them having to come out of the mouth of Carrie Fisher in this movie. But that line, that line's great.
1: There are there are so many. I don't know. I don't know if the lines in the movie are great or if it's just that they are so memorable because they've just become imprinted on my brain. I can't I can't tell the difference. I don't know which dialogue in this movie is bad and which is good.
0: Well, if you strike me down, that one, that yeah. one's gold star, grade A. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, but yeah, but Carrie Fisher. I mean, in particular, she does get some, uh, some choice lines, you know, when she talks to Grand Moff Tarkin, and oh gosh. But, yeah.
1: Harrison yeah. Ford has a lot of of difficult words to say, quickly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right.
1: But uh, he he does he does it well.
0: He does it well. 12 parsecs
1: you know <laughs> i love uh, i love al guinness's reaction to that because we have no idea what that means to, right to have done the the kessel run in less than 12 parsecs uh but uh guinness's reaction tells us everything we need to know about that claim because like, right. he just kind of he raises an eyebrow and he kind of lowers his chin and we're like
0: That's okay. We
1: we we we know that that a (laughs) that is really good and B, he does not believe this guy who claimed that he had done that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's and that's a sign of a good actor. I mean, uh, Alec Guinness is very generous with his role here. Um, You know, he he does uh, a lot of silent stuff. Uh, like the like we were just saying, like that look he gives Luke before uh, Vader strikes him down, you know
1: yeah um, well he he is so much better than the material, and he kind yeah. of knows that, but he's such a great actor that that he sells it,
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: and he he elevates it rather than being lowered by it
0: right he he yeah exactly he he's he brings dignity to the um like like William's score, he brings dignity to the whole shebang yeah. um instead of you know, chewing scenery or, or, you know, uh, not giving it his all or whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. So we, we could, and we have <laughs> in the past gone on about this movie and this franchise indefinitely. Uh, but we should not talk about it anymore and move on to something else.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, and then we're going to talk about George Lucas. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So here is more of of that uh, awesome music.
0: okay welcome back to the show uh as we teased you before the break there uh our person of the week is mr george lucas uh director writer of star wars uh and then producer of its sequels and and then prequels and all that jazz and indiana jones and we all know about george lucas but uh but he's a really weird guy (laughs) yes he is he's had a really interesting career very unique career um and I do think he's worth talking about, um, you know, even though he's only directed what I guess, including the, he's directed six movies.
1: Yeah, six right? six features.
0: Six feature films, um, but obviously the influence that he has had uh, is probably only second to Steven Spielberg, his good buddy, um, at least of directors of the last, oh, I don't know, thirty forty years.
1: Um, oh, I I would say. You know, it, if if any director kind of is responsible for the way Hollywood is now, it is George Lucas. Yeah,
0: definitely. Um, and I like George Lucas. I li- like, uh, you know, he's a he's a walking contradiction in a lot of ways. Um, but one, obviously, I like. Star Wars. <laughs> but I also really like American Graffiti. Like I like I think George Lucas I, I you know Star Wars is the it, it ruined George Lucas's life I think or the potential for uh, what could have been an interesting career as a director. Like I I think George Lucas if Star Wars had not been the massive huge cultural phenomenon that it was, George Lucas may have made you know, two dozen kind of pretty solid movies. I think. I think he could have had that in him if he was hungry enough. You know, I mean, who knows? But
1: uh, I don't know. It's George Lucas is such a fraught subject because he he intersects with with so much in in recent Hollywood history. I mean, recent as in like the past fifty years, and he takes so much of the blame for things that people don't like about. Hollywood now that I think is really kind of unjustified and the way he has talked about his own career I think is really kind of deceptive like there's uh so so first of all I think I think he needs to be seen in the context of the new Hollywood because he is, he is one of those guys of, of that group with, with Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese and, and Steven Spielberg. And I think of, of all of those people, the one he he most resembles, the guy he, I think, most wanted to be is, is Coppola.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Like, he, he, he, more than wanting to direct films, I think he wanted to uh, be outside of Hollywood and be his own producer and be in charge of everything and, like, run his own studio which eventually he did, uh, sort of. Uh, Lucasfilm isn't really like a studio in the traditional sense of the word, but, I mean, he was a producer. He he produced, you know, several dozen films and only directed three um, and only wrote, you know, a handful more than that up until, like, the prequels. But uh, for the majority of his career, his, his work is as the head of Lucasfilm and in shepherding other products. Uh, but when he, when he would talk about his career, he would always he always says that that what he's always wanted to do is direct little avant-garde experimental films, and I don't believe that for a minute.
0: Oh, I, I yeah, I don't see him directing avant-garde movies. I mean, look at American Graffiti. That movie's not. I mean. He likes to he likes to posit that movie as avant-garde because of some like the fact that it's wall-to-wall music but it, No, you know, I think wall-to-wall. I think I think
1: American Graffiti is. I think I think both American Graffiti and Star Wars are to a certain extent, you know, experimental films. They they are definitely outside the mainstream of American filmmaking at the time. Like they're they're yeah, experimental they're not... in the context of like stuff that, that Scorsese and Spielberg and, and Coppola are doing at around the same time, but or or Brian De Palma, but they are they are not mainstream films they are independent films but what there... he what he's talking about is stuff like the <laughs> THX 1138 student film that he made like little tiny right. films that nobody's going to go see that's what he really wants to do and if that was true he would have done it at some point in the last 40 years like even even Coppola now in his 70s is making little experimental avant-garde films right uh, Lucas is not Right And he's never shown any Inclination to do anything like that
0: um, So do you think that these Do you think he was just These were uh, The movies themselves were like business cards That were you know he was waiting t- For his ship to come in and, and then He, he was like I think, like,
1: oh. I think he, he kind of I get the feeling that he doesn't know That he's not comfortable with his success and with what he's really good at, like I think he wants to be Francis Ford Coppola, but what he really is is like David O. Selznick, and that makes him feel bad. Right. So he he strikes all these poses, and and but what he really is is like a a a really good uh, producer of material that needs but, other people to collaborate with.
0: But let me ask you this is he really that good of a producer? Because if you look at the stuff he's responsible for, that is not been, you know, that is not star Wars or Indiana Jones, um, which obviously Indiana Jones, a lot of the success of Indiana Jones comes from Steven Spielberg. Um, You know, is, is he really that great of a producer? Like, uh, Labyrinth is not that good. I'm sorry, everybody out there that just you know threw their iPod in the air, but it's not that good of a movie. Um, Howard the Duck, which is a
1: uh, it's a classic.
0: It's a, <laughs> that's the one bona fide classic on his resume. But I mean, but then you look at these things like um, he doesn't have a really great track record of of production. To be honest with you, a lot of it is just. Um, you know, Star Wars spinoffs and uh, Indiana Jones Indiana Jones Like,
1: like he had like it. these these two ideas, and that's just what he kept doing. Right? Uh, yeah. Well, I think, and I think a lot of that is is he kind of typecast himself uh, in these in these two like mega franchises, and and had trouble coming up with other ideas. And it's possible he only had like three ideas.
2: Yeah, I mean, and that was like people... the
1: extent of his creative career, and and you know most people don't have any ideas, so I mean, three right. is pretty good. But I don't, yeah. I don't think he he ever had like the the discipline or the desire to be a really great director in the way that that Spielberg or or Coppola Scorsese. or Scorsese, yeah. Right. Like I don't, I don't think he loved directing in the same way those guys do.
0: Right. Um, however, going back to my initial thing there, like I wonder. What his career would have been like had had had he not had the most successful movie of all time uh, behind him? You know what I mean? Like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't
1: know. I, mean, I don't, I don't think you can deposit that idea because, like, are there like unproduced George Lucas screenplays out there?
0: Well, he wanted to do Red Tails. You know, he talked about that for decades before he, you know, passed that off to somebody. And you know, like, he wanted to make that movie, the the fighter pilot thing. Um I mean a lot of the movies he ended up producing that were huge flops like Radio Land Murders and stuff. Yeah. Those were other ideas of his and stuff, but um but yeah, anyway. So George Lucas um but but when you like you said the extent of his reach is so vast. Like Pixar was originally a Lucasfilm subsidiary.
1: You know right. I mean? and, and, and when you talk about Lucas as a studio head or as a producer, I think you have to include that and yeah. all of the other effects, you know, innovations that Lucasfilm did and sound innovations. Like Right. The work
0: that ILM did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and you know, every movie worth its grain of salt nowadays, you see the credits, you know, sound done at Skywalker Ranch, you know, um, yeah. or THX
1: kind of certified sound or whatever. Right.
0: Well, yeah, all yeah. that junk. Um,
1: Yeah. I mean, he's that's that's what he's really good at. Uh, Well, and he's also
0: really he's, you know, as a filmmaker, he's really good at, um, you know, it, it seems like an obvious idea now, but taking the things that he did for something like Star Wars and taking these nostalgia things that were for him, you know, these Buck Rogers serials and and all these things and kind of melding them into this, you know, um special effects driven kind of super fantasy thing you know it's a very populist uh kind of cinema obviously but uh but it's also a very idiosyncratic kind of thing that uh not everybody could have come up with this idea
2: you know well and mean?
1: and nobody has like there there is right. nothing like star wars like you, you see like the the imitators like the immediate imitators that came out uh, even something you know as good as Flash Gordon, which I really like, is nowhere near as well. A technically competent as Star Wars, but B, it doesn't take the material as seriously as as Lucas does. And right. in, and in playing that stuff straight, you know, it makes it much more compelling than it should be, and it it, it does kind of elevate it to. You know this kind of Joseph Campbell idea of myth that he would like to talk about to legitimize his his pulpit material, <laughs> but but no, nobody else would play something like this straight, and and it works with Star Wars, right?
0: Well, and the the only the only kind of thing that that molds these you know antiquated uh, genre things um, and and and reinvigorates them. Is Indiana Jones <laughs> like it's yeah. the it's the only other one, and it's and it's Lucas again. I mean, yeah. um, he really has a singular kind of style for that kind of stuff. And, well, and and the kind and of an abiding passion for it.
1: Yeah, and and the work he's doing with with those genres, with the the the swashbuckler or the uh, the cliffhanger serial, uh, is you know, is in the exact same spirit as um, Martin Scorsese's reinvention of the gangster genre or, or uh, Francis Ford Coppola in, in One from the Heart or, you know, even Apocalypse Now. It's the same kind of thing, taking uh, the previous generation's low genre tropes and, you know, putting a new generation spin on it and taking the, the, them seriously and treating them like high art. And then bringing something new to it—a new, a new spirit—and in a, a remarkable technical facility, yeah, to stuff that had been B-level, kind of uh, mass-produced junk for previous yeah. generations. Uh, and it's it's it's pure New Hollywood. But for some reason, in our histories of the period, uh, Lucas and, and Spielberg are the enemy, whereas De Palma, Scorsese, and Coppola are the heroes. When as, as filmmakers, these guys are, they're all one kind of collective with the, the very similar outlook on film and film history and what movies are, are supposed to do. Um, I just think that, that you know, Scorsese as an artist, uh, Coppola as an artist, just have more in them to say than George Lucas ever did.
0: What about Spielberg? Uh, I think
1: I think, <laughs> I think I think I think Spielberg is uh I think he's like the best uh technician of them. Uh he's not as I don't think he's as creative as Scorsese or as innovative as Scorsese. Um I don't Scorsese, think he's Scorsese. I
0: mean yeah, yeah, I agree. Scorsese. Um yeah.
1: I think uh I think uh uh Spielberg is the hardest working of them, which means he's he is constantly putting out films and he has been for for 40 years like he has yeah you know, scorsese works a lot and he's had a remarkably productive career for anyone in film history and spielberg has outworked martin scorsese yeah um and what that means is he's got a lot of of really good films and he's got a lot of of not so good films right uh But yeah, I I don't. I I mean, I think I think Scorsese is the most interesting, just as as an artist of them. But but I think they're all really talented and really uh, essential filmmakers. I would agree. And and you know, I don't I don't like when they're like opposed because of the their financial success. That seems the popularity of the movies seems beside the point to their artistic quality to me.
0: Right. I mean I you know I would I would say that the the you know the at least you know pre prequel <laughs> Star Wars stuff is or, you know Lucas stuff uh is just as good as uh the stuff these the
1: other guys are doing.
0: Yeah. You know, they're very different movies in, in certain respects, but at the same time, they're all they're all they're really good.
1: <laughs> yeah. What what what do you think is like the single best George Lucas related film?
0: The single best George Lucas related film. Yeah, uh, that Strikes he either
1: Back. wrote, produced, or directed.
0: Empire Strikes Back.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's that's a reasonable choice. I I think I would go with Ra- <laughs> that's
0: a reasonable. That's a reasonable
1: choice. choice. I think I would go with uh, with Raiders of the Lost Ark.
0: See, I never I I like Raiders a lot. I mean, I like I love it. Um, but I never I was never given over to the entire uh world of that as much as I was to Star Wars and um I don't know. I could watch Empire over and over and over. I mean, I could I could watch Raiders over and over too, but I think I think Empire's uh a little juicier. But,
1: what what really kind of uh uh, signaled the end for this kind of this era of, of the, the Spielberg blockbuster and and the George Lucas blockbuster for me is uh, the success of E.T. I think they learned uh, terrible lessons from E.T. which is that they wanted to target like eight-year-olds as right. their audience whereas you you watch something like like Raiders of the Lost Ark and it is a a film for grown-ups with grown-ups in it uh, and grown-up relationships and then you watch Temple of Doom, and they add a kid. Right, Return of the Jedi, you get Ewoks, and Return of the Jedi, you get Ewoks, and yeah. there's it just becomes it, the the humor, the character relationships become more cartoonish and sillier and more slapsticky, and what you end up with is Jar Jar Binks.
0: <laughs> that's yeah, that's the end game, and uh, I, I
1: think it it all and E. T. is not that that kind of film but the success of et i think uh led them to target that audience as opposed to the kinds of films that they were making before with with empire and star wars and and raiders i think are all you know relatively at least more grown-up films yeah like they're not they're not they're not they're not raging bull but they're not you know willow (laughs) but hey i like willow so whatever
0: Ron Howard.
1: Yeah. OP. <laughs> Val Kilmer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Warwick Davis. Yeah. Who's also in, uh, he's Return also in Jedi. New York. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I was a big fan of, of uh, the redhead in Willow. who was married to Val Kilmer for a while. She was pretty. She,
0: she will remain nameless. Apparently. <laughs>
1: uh, Joanne Wally.
0: There we go. Yep. <laughs> um, Well, let's move on to our. uh, You know, George Lucas had a book come out. I mean, he didn't write it. He probably didn't do any work on it whatsoever. But he had a book come out about (laughs) five years ago. He produced it. (laughs) He produced a book. He produced a book uh, called "Blockbusting" uh, that had lots of charts and figures and historical anecdotes about the history of the blockbuster um and obviously star wars is one of the biggest blockbusters i mean the the the term is synonymous with star wars um so we decided this week to for our essential to pick um the essential blockbuster saga so not just not just one movie you couldn't do well i guess you could do jaws but um but yeah something where the story i mean even
1: Jaws, jaws isn't really a saga where it's like one story it's just a shark movie with a bunch of sequels.
0: Well, I know that's why I originally said jazz, but yeah. um, But yeah, something that where a storyline kind of plays out over several films uh, and obviously made a ton of money and (laughs) stuff. So, um, so a lot, lot of options to choose from. Obviously we live in a blockbuster world right now. You know, this year we had Jurassic world come out and Avengers, the age of Ultron, um,
1: Hunger and Games.
0: Hunger Games is in theaters right now. Uh, obviously, Force Awakens coming down. Uh, so yeah, all all kinds of blockbusters still permeating the multiplex. But uh, Sean, what is your essential pick for the uh, blockbuster saga? Yeah,
1: well, I'm not. I'm not going to pick Star Wars just because you know. Right. Star understandably. Wars, understandably. Uh, uh, the the first Lord of the Rings trilogy, I think is. Uh, I still think is really good, and I think it's kind of receded in the memory uh, partially because the, the Hobbit films were so poorly received. I I only ever actually watched the first one. I haven't seen the the next two, but, uh, but those Lord of the Rings movies are really good.
0: I, yeah, I need to rewatch them. I I own them. I I have the, you know, the extended cut, you know, box set thingy, and it's been sitting on my shelf and I've been thinking about rewatching them for several years now. Um, Yeah, and I really, really like those Lord of the Rings movies. And, yeah, I think Peter Jackson, um, he's kind of like a Lucas nowadays where he's, you know, I I think he got roped into doing those Hobbit movies that he, I don't think he wanted to do. Yeah,
1: I think he gave, like, an interview recently where he's like, yeah, I didn't want to do this. But, you know, they made me.
0: Yeah. They offered uh, me,
1: like, millions of dollars, so I had to.
0: (laughs) Right. Boo-hoo. But, yeah, no, those are very good. Um, I... I'm a big fan of the book, um, obviously. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I do think it's a really great, I think it's a, a great example of a film adaptation, um, of, of source material. Cause oftentimes, obviously things get screwed up. Um, but I, I, I do think that it's probably the best possible, uh, version that you could make of the, uh, you know, yeah, epic tome.
1: Well, I think I think they do uh, for the fantasy genre what what Star Wars did for the science fiction genre, which is which is bring an, a new degree of sophistication and realness to it. Like, because there have been fantasy films forever, and some of them are good, but most of them are terrible, and they look really terrible. But with the you know with the new technology that that Jackson had access to, and the way that he used it. Uh, they they create you know in the same way the Star Wars created an, a a real you know breathing world. Jackson does the same with with that trilogy.
0: Well, yeah, and it's been so remarkably influential. Like, I mean, game, there would not Game of Thrones would not be no a TV show if it weren't for Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. Absolutely yeah. not. Um, so yeah, no, that's a good pick. Yeah. That's a, that's a what, good
1: pick. What What is your pick?
0: My pick is, uh, is from the 80s. It's the Back to the Future trilogy, um, yeah. which... Uh, <laughs> um, now, the first movie... I, I, I picked the first movie on my you know, sight and sound poll. Was it last year? I don't think it was this year. I think it was last year. Um, because Back to the Future is a perfect movie, and anybody that says otherwise is wrong and should shut the hell up. Um, now, Back to the Future 2 is very flawed. I, I, you know, it was the one I liked the most as a kid. I think a lot of people have had this this uh, situation where that that since that one's the all the timey whimey one, it's kind of fun to watch when you're a kid. It's not so good as an adult. But part three is severely underrated. Uh, I really like uh, how different it is uh, while still remaining the same. But but each movie in that saga, uh, you know, pushes the story along and all that stuff. But but they're all. You know, somewhat distinct, and I think they're a lot of fun film.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm really not looking forward to the day when there's a Back to the Future reboot. And no, you and, know, and... you know it's coming.
0: No, you know what? Props to Robert Zemeckis. Earlier this year, he said that he and Bob Gale still retain the rights to uh, Back to the Future, and while both of them are alive, they refuse to
1: make a reboot. Yeah, that, they're not going to live forever.
0: Well. I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know, Zemeckis, he's a healthy guy. You know, he's still working hard. Um, but I, I think that's a really great way to shepherd your kind of legacy. I mean, I think that you got to give respect, you know, respect him for that. Because I think that's really cool. Um, but yeah, a, a reboot would be horrible. Well, they just, uh, today or a couple days ago, uh, there's talk of, of, you know, making a third Gremlins movie that will be like Jurassic World or something. And I'm just like, Really?
1: The only uh, the only way I would have any interest in that is if Joe Dante was was directing it. Oh and yeah, had, you know, and had creative control.
0: Right, but but you know it would be CGI to the max anyway, and it would.
1: Uh, well, if anyone could use CGI well, it would be Joe Dante.
0: Joe Dante, really awesome. I watched the burbs yesterday, so yeah, his uh, his
1: I, um, his Looney Tunes movie is is really good. It's a lot of fun. It's
0: besides Steve Martin.
1: Well, it's,
0: you know, it, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's way better than Space Jam. I will give you that. It's yeah. way better than Space Jam. Um, so yeah, those. So that's our essential uh, blockbusters. There. Uh, we're gonna take another disco break here. Um, and then we're gonna dive in to the man who saves the world, or as better known as Turkish Star Wars. Okay, so uh, I'm going to say it now before I forget uh, but we, you reached out to the internet to find out how to correctly pronounce the director of Turkish Star Wars and we think close enough Çetin İnanç,
1: Çetin i̇nanç, is, inanç. What,
0: is what we're going with for the director of this uh, cult uh, oddity, I guess is a good way of putting it uh, it's it's a, It's pretty bonkers <laughs> uh, it's The Man who saves the World or Turkish Star Wars came out in 1982 um, and it is a hodgepodge movie uh, that was made on probably like a dollar ninety cents or something like that. Um, and the reason it's known now. The, the real reason it's, it's it's kind of stayed in the public consciousness and, and that people are talking about it now is that due to the low budget, um, the filmmakers decided to liberally borrow from uh, more famous films uh, such as Star Wars. The first five minutes of this film are pretty much um, just shots from... Uh, the first star Wars film seeing spaceships like the millennium Falcon or some X wings and stuff um, floating through space. And then you'd have like a Turkish actor in front of it uh, with a space helmet on as if he was in a plane uh, flying through space as well. But the footage is cut uh, just horribly. <laughs> it's very herky jerky. It makes absolutely no rhyme or reason. there's reason. There's no sense to it whatsoever. Um, There's a there's a long, very long um, kind of voiceover during this thing talking about how a thousand years ago, uh, the Earth was exploded by nuclear bombs. uh, And it's kind of confusing. And maybe we can dig into the the plot points. Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we can dig into the plot points uh, here and try to assess out what actually happens, because. At various points in the movie, either Earth entirely exploded, um, which we see the Death Star explode in that, or actually, no, I think it's Alderaan that explodes, and, and that counts as Earth in this. Um, but the
1: but Earth, the, but, but the Earth is also there and protected by a force field caught, created by the human brain, which is the Death Star,
0: right? Um, or humans manage to live on some of the, you know. Uh, chunks of the earth that have been scattered throughout the, the, the uh, you know, universe uh, in this explosion. Uh, very confusing. So anyway, these two pilots, these two Turkish pilots, and they are Turkish. Like the, it says in the voiceover, these guys are Turkish. Yeah. Um, uh, so we need even though
1: one. it also says that there are like no more ethnicities or even uh, in planets anymore, it's just like humans but then right. these but guys then are, are these guys are
0: Turkish. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they, they crash land on a planet, uh, in the desert. Uh, it, it's not really Tatooine. Um, although we do see the twin sons of Tatooine, but we don't see them in relation to that planet. We just see them randomly throughout the movie. Yeah. Uh, anyway,
1: uh, they, uh, so, they go visit the pyramids and they yeah, see some yeah. Egyptian hieroglyphics.
0: Yes, they do. Um, <laughs> and they they also so, and and they the villain uh is trying to he wants to enslave mankind humans and he's going and his best bet is these guys if he can just get access to their brains then he can defeat the uh the psychic force field that is stopping him from conquering all of civilization right um the film it also has Not just Star Wars, we you know it has uh, John Williams uh, Raiders score. Uh, The India the iconic Indiana Jones theme uh, plays more in this movie than it does in Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, it's like every four minutes or so you get the da da da (laughs) da today, Um, and yeah, and and then meanwhile it's also every four minutes when this is queued up, these two. Kind of middle aged uh, Turkish men who may or may not be shirtless fight a bunch of uh, people in uh, costumes and racist uh, masks, party masks. <laughs> yeah. So that's Turkish Star Wars. Um, Sean, I know you were eager to, to dive into this film. Um, and I, I hope you can be brutally honest with me. <laughs>
1: Well, I said I said on letterboxd and and I mean it that this is objectively speaking the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. Like there there is not like an aspect of the craft of filmmaking that this is not terrible at. In in no way is anything about this the least bit competent.
3: Like, like Ste-
1: Steven Spielberg's like super eight films that he made when he was eight years old had more technical facility than this film, <laughs> yes, how yeah. about
0: subjectively speaking
1: uh for the first ten minutes, I was having a lot of fun, and then it just kind of becomes brutal. <laughs> just how how bad it is and i I am not a a so get bad, it's good person like I that that kind of mindset of watching a terrible movie in order to laugh at it and have fun I don't I don't get a lot of pleasure out of that like that is not a thing that I seek out in my life I understand that there are people who do and I I understand why but I I tend to just feel bad for anyone involved in this like it, it makes me sad to watch things that are terrible it doesn't it doesn't make me feel good to laugh at them uh huh. What about you?
0: <laughs> well, I must say I watched this after you, and I I did see your Letterbox review, um, and and which made me more excited to watch this because I was like, wow, you know, this if this really put Sean through the ringer, like there's going to be quite a time at the at the movies, um, and actually I had a very similar response uh, as you did. I actually thought, I I think I. I it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. Um, I've seen Battlefield Earth, and that is worse than this. Um,
1: I have not seen Battlefield Earth.
0: It's Battlefield Earth is worse than this movie. Um, there's actually, I would say, more than 10 minutes. I'd say maybe 20, 20 minutes of this I was really into. Because there's actually some stuff I do like about this. I actually like some of the costumes. I think some of the costumes are really good. Um they get overused unfortunately and and and I'm not talking about the costumes that are worn by our heroes which <laughs> in the middle of the movie our heroes uh the the villain is kind enough to give them new clothes and they actually like acknowledge the fact that he was nice enough to give them new clothes which you think might be a setup but it's not it's just like he gave them new threads but the the main guy the man who saves the world he's wearing this um nylon jacket that has these two orbs right over his nipples so it looks like he's got like or something. Um, it's very weird but no but some of the monster um outfits some of the the um the early going creature effects as it were which is basically people in fuzzy suits but um i was like those those are kind of fun and i thought some of those were good um
1: i i did i do like the effect at the end when the man who saves the world is fighting all of the the furries and he like uh like karate chops them and takes an arm off
0: Right. And there's like, there's like one race of them that he like rips off their faces, um, which is just like felt on their face. He just like rips off the felt.
1: There's like one, he like, uh, he rips the arm off and then the, the creature has like, like really long claws and then he He like stabs stabs another one. and, And you like see like the hole in the costume as he like stabs the hand through that. That's fun.
0: Yeah. And, and actually, um, I actually also like, uh, a couple of the action sequences in this movie um no oh, I, no. no i do no I, no I you actually, don't i do I, I really enjoyed this and and it was right after this that the movie started to become tedious but when he's train, when they're training to go fight and, he, and he the, puts the, training of, the training montage the training montage was great and it wasn't in a so bad it's good it was like he's he's punching rocks and like, I mean, it was cool. And, um, and you're, he like and straps,
1: giant boulders to his legs and then walks around and then he takes the boulders off and he can like fly.
0: Yeah. And he like does, uh, he's clearly bouncing on a trampoline. Um,
1: and, the, and the is, trampoline and effects where, are so bad. Oh, I, my yes, god!
0: but this is where John Williams, the power of John Williams comes to save the day because I don't give a damn if it's Harrison Ford riding the horse through the desert or if it's the shirtless gray-haired guy in Turkish Star Wars, but a couple of times, God damn it, that Indiana Jones theme kicks in, and I see someone riding on horseback to go fight some skeleton monsters, and it works, damn it! I mean, I think it does. Now, the other stuff that's included, I think, the the Star Wars footage, I think that's, I mean. That is where the movie is at its worst. Like I th- like the editing is so incomprehensible. I mean, I can't even. I can't even. I could. I. I don't even know what I'm doing. But I could do better than that. Like it's. It's like the Millennium Falcon's going backwards for a second, and like
1: I just. I I I, I don't. I don't like to, I don't, I don't like to believe in that there are rules for how to make a film. Like, like I am (laughs) am very, I'm very much against that idea that, that, that, you know, you need to cut things in a certain way. You need to tell a story in a certain way that there, that there are like uh, requirements for narrative that you have to have. And it, I get really annoyed when people, you know, criticize movies that I love for not following the supposed rules of narrative, like something like the assassin, which tells a story, but in a different way than, than Hollywood screenwriting books say you need to tell a story. Uh, I am very much, I am very much against that, but a movie like this makes me question that point of view. (laughs) It makes me think that maybe there should be rules for cinema. And, you know, there are, there are films that I love that have editing that makes no kind of coherent sense. Like it's either spatially incoherent in its action sequences, or it just, it just leaps around following some kind of logic that is not immediately apparent.
0: Like Terrence Malick or
1: something. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like Terrence Malick or, or, you know, even more experimental films, like a Stan Brackage thing or something like that. Uh, And, but that is not this this th- that is the difference between a uh, Jackson Pollock and uh, a a 3-year-old dribbling <laughs> crayons on on a piece of paper <laughs> like this this is not art <laughs> it's just incompetent
0: it's very incompetent um it is very incompetent and but it's also and I once again this is maybe a reason I like this a little bit more than you um some of it's fascinating like some of the the storytelling choices, like why are the why are the pyramids here all of a sudden? Why do we suddenly get uh, a five minute you know uh, lecture on uh, Islam <laughs> and then <laughs> um like I don't know, I, there's something about filtering like like filtering a science fiction story or, you know the bare bones schematics of one and not even schematics clearly because that'd be following some some rule book but um but then through this worldview that is so i've never seen a movie that talks so much about the importance of humans that feels more alien to me like there's you know what i mean like this movie doesn't get anything, like, it doesn't understand human beings at all, and I kind of find that fascinating.
1: I, I don't know. I, <laughs> there's just, there's, there's, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I just, I don't understand how, <laughs> how, I don't understand how a person makes this. Because, <laughs> you know, they, they had to know that it's terrible yeah they you have to know that you can't not know that, so at at a certain point you're like they're just making this movie to be as incomprehensible and stupid and insane as possible, and that is that's just annoying well but do you think like they they they can't possibly be serious, and so why why would I watch something that the person is not serious about making?
0: Well, you don't have to be serious, right? I mean, Monty Python's not serious.
1: Monty Python is absolutely serious. Uh, they're, they're silly and and, and funny, but uh-huh. they are very serious. They take their, their craft seriously. Like, they, they are trying to do a good job.
0: Well, and I would say that the main actor, I think he does. I think he does take it seriously enough. Like, I think he, um, you know... I don't know. I think he's got a bit of a, he's invested. When he's chopping those boulders, he's really giving it his all.
1: I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I just, I just, I kind of hate this whole genre of like intentionally campy movies. And I, I can't see this as being anything but that.
0: Well, but I think this is very different than kind of the the new. I like this is. I think this is different than like a Sharknado.
1: See, I don't know that it is. Well, I see because because uh, I can't imagine that the, the the people who made this were were serious. It's it's too bad. To have think, to have been no, serious. But I
0: think I think this is weird enough to be somewhat, somewhat, and and once again. I don't like this movie. I'm I'm I, you know, I'm not I'm not saying that it's a hidden gem, you know, and there are movies that people, you know, that some people appreciate because there's quote unquote so bad it's good that I actually just like because they're good. You know what
1: I mean? Yeah, um, and I would I would put uh, I would put Ed Wood in that category. Like I think he's a really interesting filmmaker. Oh sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Glenn or Glenda is like, is one of the more terrifying movies I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, and he, he is somebody who, you know, has the, the reputation for being a so bad, it's good director. I just, I think he's an interesting filmmaker who is in love with movies. And I don't see like a love of cinema here. And this, it, this movie feels cynical to me and, and soulless.
0: Uh, I mean, for the most part, I do agree with you. i you know i, I it was tedious the last hour or so uh, I you know was kind of looking at the clock and and wondering how much we had to go how much we had to go. Um, but I don't know i there were little fleeting moments of this like that I appreciated i I appreciated the weird jig jagged sword <laughs> that they get from the temple. <laughs> Uh, that they have to infuse with the golden brain to defeat the uh, evil wizard. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, like, I don't know. I feel like a movie like Sharknado or something. I mean, I haven't seen Sharknado, so I can't even, I I can't honestly speak from experience or anything like that. But I don't know. That seems much more callous to me. Um, and and I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's not a good movie. Turkish Star Wars is, is not a good movie yeah (laughs) but it's better than battlefield earth um
1: yeah
0: i I mean
1: i don't know (laughs) what the second worst movie i've ever seen in my life is like but i am positive that this is the worst (laughs) like you know you know you know i have a list uh i have lists for like every year of of like almost every movie i've seen and and every year has a bottom film on the list and usually I go with, like, uh, like the Eddie Murphy movie, uh, this, The Distinguished Gentleman, as, like, one of my least favorite movies of all time. That is, like, light years better than this movie. Like, the minimum star rating you could give on, on Letterboxd is is a half a star. Like, you can't give zero stars. Uh, it made me want to, like, retroactively go back and give every other movie I've, ra- <laughs> I've rated another star. Just so to, to make clear the difference between this and that.
0: Well, you and I saw a film at the Vancouver Film Festival called Love is All.
1: Yeah, I gave that half a star. That movie is so much better than this movie.
0: I don't think it is. (laughs) I don't think it is. I think this is better than Love is All. That movie, to me, was far more pointless. That movie was far more of a waste of time. That movie was far more grating. That movie was far more soulless and empty than this adventure film, I think I think that movie was far worse.
1: No, they're both fucking terrible.
0: They're both fucking terrible. <laughs> uh, so with that, we're gonna listen to uh, another two and a half minutes of some galactic funk,
1: which uh, is not terrible, by the way. I actually really fun. love this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I generally enjoy this. Genuinely enjoy this music. So. <laughs>
0: So that that can show everybody out there what uh, scale we're working with here. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, thanks uh, uh, Miko Meko
0: I think it's Meko
1: Meko for the music this week uh, it's been a lot of fun uh, that is our show next time uh, in two weeks will be our annual uh, discoveries episode where we each pick a movie that the uh, that the other person saw for the first time in this year that we have not seen and we're going to talk about that Uh we are not picking any Hong Kong movies this year for for the first time, I think, in the history of this episode. <laughs> uh, which uh, which of my films did you pick?
0: Uh, I picked Oliver Stone's Alexander, uh, the ultimate cut, um, which uh, sounds pretty uh, brutal. But uh, but you really really enjoyed this film, and uh, it's a film that I. What I like about this episode is is branching out to stuff that, you know, I try and be a well-rounded film viewer, um, but there's obviously things that, um, you know, appeal to me and, and that I tend to gravitate towards. And if it was not for this episode, I probably would never, ever, ever watch Alexander the Ultimate Cut, but I'm now excited to do so. Neat. (laughs) <laughs> and which film of mine I'm I, I I'm I'm
1: excited to to rewatch it because I, I wonder if I was crazy about in in loving it as much as I did when I when I saw it this year uh, I picked uh, a film noir which uh, is certainly a, a genre of film that I would be willing to watch before but it's one that I for some reason have never bothered to watch even though it's one of it might be the most acclaimed noir that I haven't seen and that is uh nightmare alley
0: that's right uh film I absolutely adored
1: yeah so I'm I'm looking forward to to finally seeing that one
0: awesome well uh, in the meantime actually not in the meantime because this is gonna happen right around the time we record this episode but um, we're moving into December here uh, holidays are are fast approaching and there are a lot of Uh, You know, classics that start cropping up on TV and uh, in local theaters. And I think I think last year I picked as my rep pick uh, for December um, the Grand Illusion in Seattle's uh, screening of It's a Wonderful Life, which uh, they do every year and have been doing for four plus decades now. Um, So I'm not going to pick it this year, um, but just south of us on, Inter- on Interstate 5 in Portland, Oregon, uh, there will be another Jimmy Stewart holiday classic playing uh, December 12th and 13th at the Hollywood Theater in Portland. They will be showing The Shop Around the Corner, uh, directed by Ernst Lubitsch, uh, which we've talked about on the show several, several times. And
1: uh, I think it's in our uh, sight and sound list.
0: I think it is, too. I think it was. Yeah, I think I had that, that one year. Yeah. Yeah. And I did design for living or one of the other ones, but yes. Uh, So there, there's that go see it. It's good. And it's only $5. Yeah.
1: uh, My pick for this week is uh, it's a wonderful life playing at the grand (laughs) (laughs) illusion here in Seattle, uh, starting December 11th and playing through the end of the year. Uh, It is a good movie and yeah, go see it. The grand uh, illusion is a great theater and
0: uh, they do great stuff
1: there. They really do.
0: They really do. Um, and in the meantime, you can also listen to our Jimmy Stewart episode of the show, because uh, I think he's the only actor we ever did one whole episode about.
1: Oh, I'm sure there's been others, <laughs> but well, he is the greatest actor in the history of motion pictures. So
0: there you go. Um, so we're going to we're going to finish off this disco party and. Um, so, George is going to take a breather this week, but uh, he'll be back next time on the show. So, uh, you can find out more about us at thegeorgesandersshow.blogspot.com. Um, and what else? We got Twitter, GeoSandersShow. Uh, email, Show at gmail.com. We write about film at seattlescreenscene.com. And I think that's about it. So, without further ado, Disco Stew doesn't advertise.
3: moves is that right? Yeah, uh, yeah And this and this is the S one, and there's a new one. Yay! That's
0: right. <laughs> who's your favorite? Who, who's your favorite Star Wars character? Uh,
3: Princess yeah, yeah and and Luke and and and I think those are my favorite characters.
0: Yeah, Luke and Leia, they're pretty cool.
3: Yeah.
0: What do you think about Chewbacca?
3: Chewbacca? Yeah. Yeah. He's think- kind of alien. And he just goes... Wah! That's so, right. So, so, so, so, so, so, so, I don't really like him.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, what, what, uh, what do you think about Darth Vader? No, he's, he's
3: kind of scary.
0: He's kind of scary, right? Yeah, yeah. He, how, do, how does Darth Vader talk? Does he breathe like... <sighs> Does that sound like Darth Vader?
3: No, he goes, he goes.
0: <laughs> What? Do do a Darth Vader impression for me.
1: She is, she just can't hear it. Oh, okay. Oh there you go, I hear
0: it.
3: No, no, you don't go he doesn't say that, he he just goes
0: That's right. Okay. He's a he's a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well um yeah. Are you excited about uh, continuing and watching more Star Wars stuff?
1: Oh, you got—you have to say it with words. He can't. He can
3: Yes, so
0: <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I—I uh—I think Star Wars was the first movie I ever saw when I was when I was your age.
3: He <gasps> was my age. <laughs> yeah,
0: I was your age back. Uh, a long long time ago in a galaxy far far away. I was, oh, I was the same age as you. Mike,
3: where are you? Oh we did <laughs> I one didn't day, know
1: why. I didn't know why you would. The screen just went black for a second. Oh. I joined the dark side, that's what just happened. You're gonna talk, you can't nod. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Okay, do you have anything more to tell Mike about Star Wars? Yes, and... You know, we, we haven't sure we haven't you... met the Ewoks yet.
0: Oh, you I'm haven't sure. met them yet.
1: Yeah, we're halfway through that movie, then we're going to meet the Ewoks when Oh, you're going ahead. to meet the Ewoks. I got you. Yeah.
0: Uh well, I'm sure your dad oh. would be happy to let you know that there are two Ewok-centric movies.
3: Dad, I want to tell Mike's favorite character in the Star Wars movie. Huh? Mike, what, what's your favorite character in the Star Wars movie?
0: My favorite character in the Star Wars movies in all of them I really like Yoda.
3: Yoda, big, yeah. Do you uh, like him when he says you will be
0: That's right. That's the that's the creepy stuff. That's a that's scary. When uh when Luke's on Dagobah and there's yeah, it's pretty pretty intense. But I, I like Yoda, I like his style, I like his um you know he's he's kinda goofy but he's also, you know, really smart and uh you know.
3: Short. <laughs> How about you tell me that later, Mike? Why later? Because that's too much stuff.
1: That's too much stuff? Yeah. Do you, do you have anything else you want to talk to Mike about Star Wars about? Yes! Okay, what?
3: And in the Star Wars movie, yes. Uh, what else is in the Star Wars movie, Daddy? I don't know. Uh. Um, there's a Job of the Hut. There's Job of the Hut
0: There's Job of the Hut, that's right. Do you mm-hmm. know who Boba Fett
3: is? Uh no.
0: So in the movie you're watching right now, there's the guy with like the rocket pack on his on his pack that can fly through the air, he's got like the helmet on. And uh he gets thrown into the Sarlacc pit and eaten.
1: The the bounty that? hunter who captured Han Solo and turned him into a statue, remember? Yeah. yeah, that's the Boba Fett. Which one did you like better? Did you like Star Wars or the second one? The first one and the second one? Uh, ah, uh, uh.
3: The first one, I ate the Yakuza. Yeah, yeah. I the dress.
1: You like when she wears a dress?
3: Yeah, and I ate the And I like the dress when she wears at the end. The one she wears at the end? Yeah. Uh, that's a good dress at the end
1: of Star Wars. That's a good
0: dress. Yeah. yeah, I gotta I gotta agree with you there, Elizabeth. <laughs>
3: Although she, she
0: wears—that's
1: uh, <laughs> your name. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's my name, Mama. You don't That's
1: you don't right. need to you don't need to yell. He, he can hear you when you I talk I can hear you just fine.
3: Yes, i fine. All right.
1: Any she other? Wears, any other? She
0: wears another dress at the end of Return of the Jedi when she's on the uh, planet of the Ewoks.
1: No. no. No, you well, we haven't seen see that it yet. You
0: haven't seen it yet. Yeah. And her hair's all, like, done up in braids and stuff.
1: You didn't like when she was with Job of the Hut, though, did you? Oh, that yeah, was no good.
3: I like, when she was Job of the Hut?
1: You didn't like what she was wearing.
3: And it was yucky. Yeah, it was yucky. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs> <laughs> it we
1: <was laughs> Yeah, it was pretty yucky. Alright.
3: Pretty yucky
0: stuff.
1: And anything else you want to ask Mike about Star Wars? Yes. Okay.
3: And Darth Vader. And he wanted Luke to turn into a statue. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Do
0: you think, do you think, you know, how Darth Vader is Luke? Father.
3: Yes, yes, yes, that's what he said.
0: I know. So do you think, let me ask you this question. Do you think, because Luke's a good guy and Darth Vader's a bad guy, so do you think by the end of the movie, is Darth Vader going to turn good or is Luke going to turn
3: bad? Uh, what, what, what do you think he's going to turn bad?
1: Oh, I know. What well, you tell me. Uh, what do you think?
3: He's going to, Darth Vader's going to turn good.
1: He's going to turn good? Up?
3: Yeah.
0: Well, let's hope so. Yeah. Fingers crossed. We'll, we're all pulling for that, that uh, outcome.
1: All right.
3: Oh, where well, are you, Mike? Oh, he's right there. Where am I? I'm
0: in a closet.
3: you yeah. in a closet. <laughs> yep, yeah, I'm in a closet. All right. I'm
0: sitting on a
1: blanket.
3: Yeah, sitting on a blanket.
1: All right, say, say goodbye to Mike. It's time for you to go to bed.
3: Goodbye, Mike. Happy Good. Christmas.
1: Oh, happy Christmas
0: to you, Elizabeth. I'll talk to you real soon. All right. Okay. Bye.
3: Bye. Bye.